High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, beachgoers, aspiring musicians, budding animators. Oh, and an extra special shout out to those of you in the Yacht Club today. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, summer school is still in session, so we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Did you guys enjoy the myth of the American sleepover last week? I mean, that movie was a real pleasant surprise to me, especially, again, if you're a fan of the genre. And it was awesome having our guest Chris Podcast on to break it down, and I don't know, I'm just really thankful that he showed that movie to us, and you can check the episode out in the archives if you didn't do your homework, and I promise we'll have him back again anyway. By the way, how's your summer going? Oh, I feel like it's winding down, though. I feel like there's not enough weeks, there's not enough days, there's not enough hours in the day, but you can't stress, right? That's not what summer's about. It's not what summer school's about. Summer school is about taking it easy and just cruising by. And I feel like that's the vibe of our podcast. And I think it's the vibe of today's film. But more on that later. Some important homework notes I always like to remind you guys about is that, you know, this is a podcast. It's for zero dollars and zero cents. It's free. So I count on you slumberers' support, your listeners out there, to support me in other ways, like by hitting that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, we're also available along with an amazing assortment of a lot of film and pop culture podcasts on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. We are proud members of the Cage Club Podcast Network. I wish we had like a jingle, like a proud as a peacock, NBC kind of like thing, but we don't. Maybe they'll make one. The guys back at the Cage Club Lab. I don't know. But until then, you know, like I said, check out all the other great shows there, including my other show, P.S. I Love Hoffman, where me and the foodie films man himself, Kyle Reinfried, break down the films of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Other ways you can support the show. Going on whatever app that you're listening to us now and reviewing us, 
rating us, giving us that five-star rating, pumping us up. It helps with the algorithm, of course. And maybe, though, the best thing you can do for the show is tell a friend about all the fun times we have curled up in our sleeping bags at high school slumber party. You know, your friends probably have similar interests to you, so if you're listening to this show, they might enjoy it too. Hopefully they'll give it a shot. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I know it's the summer, I know the weather's awesome, I know we only have so many beach days left, but remember, the bell doesn't dismiss you. Papa Bear dismisses you. So, our movie today is an awesome one. I know it's a bit controversial here in High School Slumber Party because it is a John Cusack film. I promised I'd bury the hatchet with John Cusack, but uh, when I see him perform in a high school movie, I just ponder, I wonder, I wonder why the first week of High School Slumber Party's existence, he blocked us on Twitter. Just because... I asked him why he did not enjoy Better Off Dead. Well, today's film is not a sequel to Better Off Dead, but it is somewhat of a companion piece, same director, and we'll get all into the nitty-gritty in just one second. My guest today is a first-time guest, but I'd say a long time coming, Christian Larson. You might know him from the infamous Monkey Club. And Larson's a good example of something that I don't know. One of the great benefits of having this podcast has been meeting new friends and just being able to hang out with cool and awesome people. And Larson's one of them. And I think you're going to really enjoy his take on this film and just his passion for this kind of stuff. It's a great conversation. I can't wait till you guys listen in. So I won't keep you any longer. So I'll leave you with a song from the film, sung by our heroine, played by Demi Moore. It is called... No, it is not a song from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Jesus Christ, I don't know why you would think about that. It's called Don't Look Back. So pack your favorite jammies, tell your mother you're sleeping over Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. Class dismissed. So, natural question, before we get into anything. Sure, sure. How's your summer been so far? Uh, it, it. I actually haven't gotten to do a lot of 
summer stuff. I, I live in New York City, and uh, we we love to get down to Coney Island as much as we can. But we, we haven't gotten to do that a lot. I love Coney Island. Uh, I love riding the, the Wonder Wheel, going on one of those... Uh, one of those terrible haunted house rides, <laughs> you know, where like a rubber vampire pops out and says, Bleh! um, all that stuff and the beach, you know, I've, I've just, you know, it, it's weird. I, I work in a toy store and I, I work with a lot of kids and it's so weird because they have this concept of summer that just sort of, kind of ceases to exist once you reach a certain age oh yeah so depressing (laughs) where it's it's just three months of absolute freedom and you know what i wouldn't give to have that again i mean every now and then i have a weekend where i can go to the beach but nothing like that no i mean those were the best times and oh such good times and like you know obviously we have a great summer film today well I don't know. Not everyone might think it's great, but I I love it. I was a huge fan of Better Off Dead when I was a a small child who was kind of raised by cable TV, and uh, you know Better Off Dead uh, and this movie are sort of companion pieces. Oh, absolutely. Uh, both Savage Steve Holland written and directed, both John Cusack. Uh, but I always like to say that there are two great 80s coming of age genres there's the the high school movie and the slobs versus snobs movie and (laughs) and with with uh better off dead he made a quintessential high school movie and with uh one crazy summer it's a quintessential slobs versus snobs movie which is also a high school movie otherwise i wouldn't be here but uh Love them both. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's a really good call on that. And before we dive in any further, because I feel like we're going to get into the weeds in this one. Oh, um, yes, yes. This is this is your party. <laughs> it's the first time that you're on this show, and we introduce ourselves by saying our name and our high school and our high school team name and all that jazz. So Sure. Anyway. I mean, I, I have to say I've been a fan of this podcast for a very long time, and oh, well, it's, thank you. it's really kind of lame how much I've been looking forward to this moment. <laughs> uh, but I'm I'm Christian Larson, Ramsey High School, class of 1997. Uh, go Rams! Uh, not very creative. Uh, the Ramsey Rams, of the course. The Ramsey Rams. Uh, I actually uh, I went to high school at the exact same time as uh, resident historian Mike Manzi, just down the road from Ridgewood High School, Ramsey. Ramsey High School was uh, very close by. That's awesome. And by the way, you're probably the only one to look forward to that part of the show, <laughs> in the history of the show. So I mean, I'm I not. Do appreciate I, that. I wasn't looking forward to admitting how old I was, but <laughs> since Mike Manzi does it uh, frequently, it makes me feel a little better about that. <laughs> well, you know, I've wanted to have you on. I think we picked a good movie because, like you said, you really enjoy it. This is like a film that, oof, you know, you mentioned a good point, like TV, right? I feel like Better Off Dead and this film, a lot of people the first time saw it on TV. If not, maybe they rented it on VHS. Oh, I should get into this. You're a big VHS guy. I, I've 
watched some VHSs with you recently. Before we dive into One Crazy Summer, how did you get into this VHS game? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, well, I always had movies from when I was a little kid. I just collected them. And around the mid to late 90s, when VHS was on its way out, I still had stacks and stacks of VHS tapes. And I was like, I'm not just going to throw all these out. So I was known as the guy who had tons of VHS tapes. And after a while, it became easier to get VHS tapes cheaper. Blockbusters would go out of business, and I'd just grab a garbage bag from out back of the closing Blockbuster and bring home whatever they had. Um, And I started going to thrift, uh, thrift stores and flea markets and noticing that there was this kind of subculture of people who collected VHS tapes uh, because there were some titles that you just couldn't get anywhere else uh, that would never be released on DVD. Uh, A lot of them kind of B-movie genre type stuff like Hider in the House, which we watched together (laughs) and which you mentioned in in, uh, last week's podcast. And Physical media is is something that's disappearing, and I feel like there's sort of a a reaction to that where people love to collect vinyl. Even cassette tapes are, are making a comeback now. Which is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> and there is nothing more physical than putting a plastic box inside <laughs> a machine full of whirring gears. You know, it doesn't get more physical than that. And not to mention the the memories associated with uh, VHS tapes and browsing at a video store and the box art and everything that goes along with it. I just, I love it. And even though the film quality is objectively awful, um, (laughs) there's just something charming about it that I love. Yeah, no, I mean, that's why I like uh, the segment where I try to, at least if I don't have it, which I, I don't have this one. Um, I'll try to find a picture of the back of the VHS at the back of the DVD because I just always remember, you know, renting things and actually having to read the back to figure out what it was. Or yeah. most of the time, judging by the cover, honestly. <laughs> sure, sure. Do you own this film on VHS? I do. I uh, I have a lot of different categories of VHS tapes that I collect. I have uh, a stack of Christmas movies a stack of Cold War-themed movies, uh, a stack of music documentaries, and a stack of summer movies. And this is one of my favorites. Back to the Beach is another favorite of mine. Summer School, of course, which you covered on here. National Lampoon's Vacation. So yeah, it's it's a proud member of my collection. I'm going to have to take a look at that collection for next summer (laughs) to get some ideas. Absolutely. Which cover do you have? Because as I was looking, I saw there was like three different covers for this on VHS. Yeah, from from what I know, I have the the standard cover, which is a a big angry orange sun with eighties <laughs> sunglasses on, and in front of it is sort of one of those generic sort of eighties illustrations of the cast with the the main character looking like a hero and the the female kind of holding on to him and his cohorts gathered around sort of like um the National Lampoon's Vacation cover sort of did a, a oh yeah a send up of that trope 
Yeah, that's the cover or like I, even the poster or just the image I most remember. But the other two uh, VHS covers I saw was one where he, um, John Cusack's just holding Demi Moore and it just kind of like it's just it's not a illustration. It's like them. And mm-hmm. you know, I, there, I think there's an illustration below it. And there's one where <laughs> it's ve- it seems kind of poorly drawn but they're all in it well, okay first is that supposed to be a shark or a dolphin <laughs> uh there is a subplot in the film where they're uh shooting a, a jaws knockoff on nantucket <laughs> and i forget what it's called but it stars a rabid dolphin that okay attacks. so it is a dolphin hey shark guys hey who what's happening how do you do Hi, it's been, 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 but if you guys are out there and not familiar with 1986's One Crazy Summer, here is at least one of the back of the VHSs. They're out of school, out of Nantucket, and out of their minds. Hoops McCann has the name, not the talent, to carry on the family basketball tradition. He'd rather earn an art scholarship by writing and illustrating a love story. This summer in Nantucket, he's going to get more than he bargained for. John Cusack, to me more... Curtis Armstrong and Bobcat Goldthwait headline this off-the-wall summer comedy from the writer and director of Better Off Dead. The annual Nantucket regatta sets the stage for Hoops' bid to earn his lady love, and a larcenous land developer's party sets the stage for an attack by Godzilla. Overworked and undervacationed? Join one crazy cast of characters for one crazy summer. I mean, I think they mentioned Nantucket like five times in that in that paragraph. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's that's 100% accurate, but, I mean, whatever. I don't know if he'd rather earn the art scholarship. I think he feels like he needs to earn the art scholarship. He certainly likes art better, but whatever. We'll get into it. You mentioned Savage Steve Holland, and that's kind of um, one of the reasons I was drawn to this film, because growing up, I was a huge Better Off Dead fan. It was the first film we did on High School Slumber Party, so it has a special place for me. John Cusack blocked us on Twitter because of you know me asking him why he didn't like better off dead so i'm ex- again i'm very very excited to do this one it all comes full circle <laughs> uh, do you remember actually the first time you saw this film though i don't remember i actually first saw it in its entirety recently um it it wasn't shown on cable at least to my experience nearly as much as better off dead but the image of the back of the boat blowing off and there being a corvette and and the boat races to victory that was seared into my memory uh as a as a young kid sitting cross-legged on my parents shag carpeting (laughs) that really burned itself into my mind and and i I really only watched it in its entirety a few years ago for the first time. It's amazing because we have almost a similar story uh, with this film. I remember watching a film as a kid 
with that exact image you're talking about. And I didn't know what it was till like a handful of years ago when I finally got to see this film, which like I said, I'd always wanted to because I was a big Better Off Dead fan. And it was one of those moments where it all clicked to me. I was like, oh, that's this movie. I distinctly remember the boat being called The Boat. And like, yeah, so isn't it weird how that image, like for both of us, was the one that like we remembered? Yeah, I mean, it's not surprising because it's such an awesome moment. But yeah, it's it's uh, that's true. And I always, I don't know why, but I assumed that that moment was from a movie called Corvette Summer. Uh, whenever I thought of that moment, I was like, oh, that's from Corvette Summer, which is a 1978 film starring uh, Mark Hamill and Annie Potts. And Ooh, that's the, interesting. the only reason I made that, and I, I'm pretty sure it's a high school movie too, but the only reason I made that connection is because it had the word Corvette in the title. Wow, yeah, I'm looking up this film now. This is very, I had no idea, huh. But I mean, that makes sense. I gotta write it down for my ever-expanding list of high school Yeah, films. absolutely. <laughs> Danny Bonaducci is in it as well. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, Corvette Summer. So like, I'm I'm really starting to look forward to the to the summers on this show, kind of like what you were saying. Even though I still have work and I'm still doing like my regular thing, but at least I can relive the nostalgia through this podcast. Yeah, I mean, you know, your podcast is all about sort of the not so much the movies, but about the the sort of memories and the uh, the connections that are made with these movies that that sort of uh, bring back your high school, your adolescence, not just high school. And this movie is is not specifically a high school movie, although it starts off at a high school, mm-hmm. but it's about that time in someone's life. Watching it again with that in mind, because watching it this time, I was I was thinking about it in terms of of your podcast and the kind of things you discuss on it. And there's so much about this movie, not just uh, that sort of lost feeling of summer where it was a a three-month adventure um, that we will never, ever see again. Uh, (laughs) But there there are so many many things uh, about this movie that, as, as absurd as the film is, you can kind of identify with. The high school graduation, the uncertainty uh, about that, about what am I going to do? You touched on it earlier. Is he going to art school because he wants to or because he feels like that's the only thing he can do? Uh, He's supposedly destined to be part of this basketball dynasty, but we find out he's terrible at basketball, (laughs) despite the fact that his name is Hoops. But that's, that's a huge thing. Um, and going on vacation with a friend, I, I think that's something that a lot of people did. They went on vacation, they stayed with a friend's parents or a friend's grandma or something. Oh yeah. And that meeting somebody on vacation and, and falling in love and having that sort of adolescent romance. There's, there's a lot in this movie that while it is not a strict high school movie it definitely connects with that time now seeing it as it is your first time on i generally ask this question and you know maybe we'll theme it a little up today but 
what were you like back in high school? And, you know, maybe specifically, how did you spend your summers? And did this movie rekindle any specific thoughts for you or memories? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, I uh, went to school, and and it's so weird that Mike Manzi grew up and went to school like three towns over from me, because I feel like we probably had very similar experiences. Bergen County, uh, where I went to school, is a very upper middle class area, emphasis on the upper. My family moved in in the mid-70s when it wasn't really so much like that, and it sort of grew up around us. Uh, Bergen County is sort of the OC of the East Coast, and so my high school experience was very much I was the the kid from the wrong side of the track, uh, not in the cool, you know, smoking cigarettes and wearing a wife beater sort of thing, but just like I didn't get a BMW on my 16th birthday. So especially in this movie when they're looking in the parking lot after graduation and they're seeing all the sports cars with bows on them. And he gets, uh, what does he get, a Zamboni or like a, a forklift or something? Yeah, some, some kind of construction vehicle. Yeah, <laughs> that, definitely, that definitely spoke to me, sort of a, a blue-collar kid growing up uh, around all these rich kids who would have had sweaters tied around uh, their necks if it had been 1986. <laughs> but yeah, I was... Uh, and, you know, as far as socially, uh, I was I was kind of a dork. This was this was right before being a nerd was cool. So <laughs> I just missed the cutoff. I I did a lot of theater, which which kind of was uh, the the nerdy kids' way of kind of being cool. Um, and uh, and I had a lot of friends. I actually here's an interesting story. There was this kid who was like the perfect square-jawed, straight-A captain of the soccer team uh, <laughs> guy who ran unopposed for class president every year. And he was going to run unopposed senior year. And I just thought that wasn't fair. So I launched a campaign. I, I never intended on winning, but I made posters and and <laughs> did all the sorts of things that I I kind of assume you did when you campaign for something, and I ended up winning in a landslide. Wow, that's <laughs> awesome! Yeah, and I I got to give a speech at graduation, and that's great. A a lot of it was that like most of the time, th these kind of people who run for these things, they have these sort of illusions of grandeur. They 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 think that what they're doing is so much more important than it is, <laughs> and. And I was just like, look, my job is to pick the theme for the fall formal and, you know, hold a fundraiser for the graduation in the spring. That's it. So I'll do that and I'll do it really well. Um, Makes sense. Very and practical. I did. It was it was pretty cool. But that was uh, that was probably the highlight of my my four years at Ramsey High School. And and I remember the election results being announced uh the, the last day of school my junior year and driving around town like it was it was really like a scene out of an 80s movie because I 
I popped out of the the sunroof of my friend's car and I <laughs> shouted, and then we all went and got like ice cream sundaes. Uh, <laughs> wow, that is so cinematic. I love yeah. It. I mean, if that's a high, that's a pretty cool high point for me. <laughs> I love it. Uh, did your administration go well, or was it riddled with scandal? How did it go? No, not really. I mean, I, <laughs> I actually, uh, my because at one point, if if you've seen the movie Election, uh, which I'm sure you'll cover eventually, of course, of course, but that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, you at one point you have to make a like a stump speech in front of the class, and they gather all 400 people or whatever in the auditorium for you to give a five to 10 minute speech. And the guy I was running against gave a speech that was very pretentious. And it was sort of like, you know, all this just absolute bullshit. (laughs) But I went up and I was like, look, I, uh, I will, I'm going to make a few promises here. I am going to bring jello wrestling to this school I am going to bring donkey basketball to the school. I'm not going to make, I'm not going to stand here and make promises that I can't fulfill, but I promise you, I will bring you those things. And that was when, when we got down to work, uh, in the fall of 1996, I was like, all right, how do we make this happen? This is why I got elected. You know, it was a big part of why. So I need to follow through. And you had a mandate. Well, it's true. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I found out that donkey basketball not only had some real liability issues uh, as far as safety, but it also was kind of unethical as far as the treatment of the donkeys. Uh, okay, so I was going to ask, is donkey basketball literally playing basketball on donkeys? Yeah, it, basically you hire a company who comes in with, you know, 10 donkeys <laughs> and they bring them into the auditorium and teachers and parents uh, ride the donkeys and play basketball while on the donkeys. I, I had seen it. I had gone to a donkey <laughs> basketball event when I was in middle school or something. And I remember the donkeys pooping on the on the. <laughs> The gym floor. Uh, I remember someone falling off one of the donkeys, and it was kind of a big thing. So, yeah, uh, in the long run, it was probably a good idea that we didn't go with donkey basketball. But I think we more than made up for it with our Jello wrestling event. That was a lot of fun. Wow, I mean, that's cool. And hey, I learned a new sport today, so we're all <laughs> learning on high school slumber party today. <laughs> well, I, I'm pretty sure that it's obsolete at this point. It was uh, <laughs> the late '90s were kind of the last hurrah for donkey basketball. <laughs> that is that is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure you'll be on again, and we can dive deeper into your administration. <laughs> um, but you know, back to one crazy summer. I mentioned the cast earlier. We've mentioned already John Cusack as Hoops McCann. I don't know if he was playing any donkey basketball himself, but he probably (laughs) sucked at that too. Um, I mean, again, it's well known that after Better Off Dead, and again, guys, listen to that back in the archives, but after Better Off Dead, John Cusack was super pissed off at Savage Steve Holland for how the film turned out. Even though, again, people ended up really liking that film and it became a cult classic, and... I heard that only recently 
he has been okay with even speaking about Better Off Dead. I think a couple months ago he did a convention in Chicago where he like was with uh, one or two of the cast members like signing autographs and that's like that's a big step for him Um, no i i know i i heard you discuss it on the episode but what what exactly was his issue with better off dead he apparently read the script and saw it more this is again this is i don't know him personally this is what i read but he saw it more as like a serious film and he was surprised and a little pissed off how cartoony it was and he just did not like the final product. He saw himself more as like an artist, I believe. And that was, you know, obviously it's not an art. I mean, there, there's art in it, but it's like cartoon art. It's very cartoony and that's fine. I mean, that's why people like it. But he was just, again, not happy with the final product. And he had already signed on to do One Crazy Summer. So Boy, I don't I don't know what he was thinking getting involved with a guy <laughs> named Savage Steve Holland. Like, what did he expect? Exactly. And also, he's not like the late 90s A-lister John Cusack. He's just no. a kid doing these movies. Like, relax. They're movies for young people. And again, like, I tweeted him out to to rehash this. <laughs> I promised to bury the hatchet with it, but I have to bring it up. I tweeted him out, like, hey, what's your problem with Better Off Dead? And he just blocked me. <laughs> Which is amazing. Um, that who is knows? Probably my favorite running gag about the High School Slumber Party podcast is your your never-ending quest to <laughs> bury the hatchet with John Cusack. <laughs> someday, Brian, someday. Hey, maybe he'll listen to this episode. John Cusack, I like you. I enjoy your work. <laughs> please, please, unblock the High School Slumber Party <laughs> Twitter page. I beg of you. Uh, but I'm sorry, I'm going to have to say some bad things now. So he, according to the rest of the castmates... Like, halfway through this movie, he just wasn't talking to almost anyone. He was fighting with Savage Steve and pretty much mailed it in. I mean, I don't really notice it. I don't know if you do, but... No, I mean, well, he's definitely the the least colorful character. That's so true. It's, it's probably a lot easier for him to mail it in because he's kind of a blank slate. He's he's the everyman. But... It's it's so weird to hear that because this just seems like it must have been such a blast to film. It must have been, you know, these these people just hanging out on Nantucket, shooting all day, partying all night. I I imagined it like the filming of Wet Hot American Summer, you know, just a bunch of friends. Um, and that really sucks that John Cusack wasn't... Although... You know, I've I've heard that John Cusack's kind of hard to get along with. Uh, sorry, John, if you're listening. Prove me wrong. Prove <laughs> yeah, us exactly. wrong, John. Prove exactly. us wrong. Um, yeah, apparently for everyone else, it, it was like a blast shooting this film. I guess not for John Cusack. And maybe Jeremy Piven, because they were best friends at the time. So oh, I'm yeah, sure. that's right. <laughs> I'm, sure they, I'm sure they hung out with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Last thing I'll mention about Better well, not the last thing, but one of the last things I'll mention about Better Off Dead is that it did not meet its goals when it came out in terms of financially. Okay. So the studio slashed the budget for One Crazy Summer, specifically like the marketing budget, um, which is why a lot of people know, I think, a lot of people know Better Off Dead more than One Crazy Summer. That makes so sense. So that, that was like 
you know, if you you had your lead who's expressing that he doesn't want to be in the film, the uh, the Better Off Dead not doing as well, you would think that this film was going to kind of suck, but you know, it doesn't. I mean, that, that's my opinion again. <laughs> um, we mentioned though Demi Moore, one of her earlier film roles. I get. Sure. What do you think of her performance? I mean, it was good. Uh, you know, it's it's again like John Cusack. It wasn't a very colorful part. She she wasn't given a whole lot to work with, and when you're surrounded by so much craziness, it's <laughs> it's hard to stand out. But you know, she was good. Yeah, no, I mean it's cool seeing her. Um, you have Curtis Armstrong from Better Off Dead as of Ack Ack in this. I mean, I thought he was awesome. Of course, Revenge of the Nerds, great. Uh, uh, yeah, it was it was weird seeing him as sort of a straight man. You know, because you're used to him as Booger or as the the sidekick from uh, Better Off Dead, where they're just these completely outrageous lunatics. And I guess Bobcat Goldthwait was filling that role uh, in this film, but but he's kind of uh, shockingly understated in this film. And his dad is played by Joe Flaherty, uh, classic Canadian character actor from SCTV. And tons of other stuff. I will always think of him as the guy from Happy Gilmore who yells, Jackass! Yeah. <laughs> That's right. What a familiar face. Like, yeah, uh, Joe Flaherty. So many, so many familiar faces in this. Uh, Taylor Negron, who's one of the most random character actors of all time, one of my favorites, pops up at one point as a gas station attendant. Uh, yeah. We we saw Taylor Negron um in Better Off Dead as the mailman. Yes, so, yes. And he so, was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He delivers the pizza. Um Yeah. He's also the bad guy in a movie called Funky Monkey, which we covered on Monkey Club. Definitely check out that podcast or film. It's insane. We're going to talk about Monkey Club a little later, so hold that. Okay, up. okay. <laughs> uh, but I was going to say William Hickey also, who who has played an old man in many things, including National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yeah, uh, that's he where pops I up in this. From. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was another uh, familiar face too. I was like, "Where's that guy from?" And you look it up, you're like, "Duh!" I, l- I love when that happens. Yeah, and and the guy who plays. Uh, What's this? Niedermeyer from Animal House is the most scenery-chewing, evil, rich guy of all time in this movie. It's great. Like, this is a guy who knew early on what kind of role he was going to play for the rest of his life. And he was like, you know what? I'm just going to lean into it. And I'm going to be the most over-the-top, obnoxious bad guy I can be. And man, oh man, is he perfect. Yeah, and good for him for, like... Knowing his role, you know? Um, another guy, right before we recorded, you mentioned that you did a deep dive on him. I guess Bruce Wagner, he plays the uncle. What yeah. did you find out? Oh, my goodness. Well, I I really went down a rabbit hole on this guy. <laughs> um, he is more of a writer than an actor. Hmm. And so let me just do a brief run-through. And his filmography is not that long, but every item is fascinating. The first thing he wrote was a, a sex comedy called Young Lust in 1984. 
Uh, it's known as being an early vehicle for Fran Drescher and Dana Carvey. <laughs> what? Yeah, it, it also sorts George Went. Um, so that was in 1984. And in 1987, he wrote what is commonly known as the best Nightmare on Elm Street film, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, hmm. The Dream Warriors. In 1987, he created a sitcom called The New Adventures of Beans Baxter about a teenager whose dad is a secret agent slash mailman. And when his dad disappears, he has to take over as an international spy. Wow. Um, yeah, and it was directed by Savage Steve Holland, so I'm assuming that's uh, part of that relationship there. It was 1987. Um, then he wrote a movie called Scenes from the Class Struggles in Beverly Hills, 1989. Uh, and it's, it's kind of a, a satire about 80s excess where uh, I believe a maid and a chauffeur have a, a standing bet as to which one will bed uh, one of their employers first. Um, also in 1989, he, he and Wes Craven Whoa. created a sitcom called The People Next Door, starring Jeffrey Jones, a.k.a. the dad from Beetlejuice, um, a.k.a. Uh. Uh, child pornographer... <laughs> But uh, as a Gary Larson-esque cartoonist whose cartoons come to life and mess with reality in different ways. It lasted four episodes. Uh, in 1995, he wrote a miniseries called Wild Palms. Now, when I first saw that, I thought, oh, a soap opera set in a tropical location. No, it's a dystopian film about a right-wing religious media conglomerate uh, starring Jim Belushi and Kim Cattrall. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so in 1998, there was a TV movie that came out based on a novel he wrote called I'm Losing You. And it's a melodrama about a movie producer's family. Um <laughs> And there's there's all kinds of crazy Peyton Place kind of drama, and it stars Frank Langella and Rosanna Arquette. Interesting. Um, yeah, and and um, he he wrote for Tracy Ullman's State of the Union series in mm. the uh, in two thousand nine, and in two thousand fourteen he wrote a movie called Maps to the Stars. Uh, which was directed by uh, David Cronenberg, again going back to his sort of Hollywood upper class satire stuff, uh, starring John Cusack and Julianne Moore. Um, Interesting. So this guy, I want to watch everything this guy ever did because he seems like a fascinating dude. And in this movie, he was the crazy guy who wanted to win the radio sweepstakes. Yeah, I mean, wow. That <laughs> that would be like an interesting project to conduct to watching all his his stuff that probably no one would care about but would yeah. still like be awesome. <laughs> Let's do a Bruce Wagner podcast. <laughs> Calm down. Oh man, that would be great. Uh 
<laughs> Who else did I want to mention? Now, quickly, you, we mentioned Bobcat, of course. Sure. I mean, he's Bobcat in this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> what, there's not, not a lot him. to say about him. <laughs> no. One of the Murray brothers is uh, is the best friend. Yes, Joel Murray, mm-hmm. and his name is George Calamari. Okay. <laughs> the, the one thing I wrote about him is that he ha- did not think that he would get this role in a million years because he, I think he knew how pissed John Cusack was, and he knew his best friend Jeremy Piven was reading for this role, so he assumed that Jeremy Piven would get it, but instead uh-huh. Jeremy Piven was it's just like some random rich thug. And the other person I was going to mention... I mean, no one else I really was familiar with unless I'm missing somebody. Yeah, I don't really... Rich Hall, who plays the, the radio um, the radio guy, he was a famous comedian from, like, the 70s and 80s. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So let's, you know, talk about some of your favorite scenes, some moments here. I mean, we start out, of course, with the classic Savage Steve Holland animation sequence. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a lonely kind of a guy who had resigned himself to the fact that love was blind. Now, if love is blind, he thought to himself, how will it find me? It honestly seems such a crime. For how many times has love knocked on the door when it should have been knocking on mine? And so one day, he went off in search of the aloof creature. He soon happened upon the cute and fuzzy bunny gang. Perhaps they could help him. Uh, pardon me, cute and fuzzy bunnies, he said. I wonder if you could help me find love. <laughs> love would have nothing to do with such a stupid-looking creature, said the first cute and fuzzy bunny. <laughs> with that nose, those shoes. And that stomach. <laughs> and those eyes. And those ears. <laughs> Chanted and danced around him. Naturally, our hero was very saddened by this, so um, he actually uh, he he reached into his suitcase and pulled out a Israeli submachine gun, and he he saw those two fuzzy bastards that happened. Wait, stop! No, no. Yeah, there's a lot of animation in it. I I feel like that's probably Savage Steve's uh, kind of calling card. Actually, if you watch the opening sequence to the New Adventures of Beans Baxter, uh, there's a lot of there's an animated bean uh, that is very reminiscent <laughs> of the stuff in this movie. Yeah, the I mean the plot itself is kind of boilerplate. Guy needs. Guy and his ragtag bunch of friends need to raise money to save a thing from a bad guy. <laughs> There's a big contest in the end, and along the way, he woos a girl who is way out of his league. Pretty much. <laughs> but there's but there's a lot of little little unique touches in this movie that really kind of elevate it from something generic. And if you think about it, Better Off Dead is 
is a generic high school coming of age movie. Um, you say generic high school, and literally, like, I think it's so aware of that that it, that the high school is named generic high school. Yeah, I I totally wasn't even thinking of that, but yeah, it's generic high school. <laughs> the the little sister goes to generic middle school or generic <laughs> elementary. They they live in generic New York. <laughs> it's, uh, I think Savage Steve knows exactly what he's doing here, and he's taking a, a pretty well worn trope and he's injecting uh, so many really absurd, silly things like um uh, like the fact that uh the the car the beat up old car that they drive around has a christmas tree tied to the roof <laughs> always like that's that's such a cool touch i love that the the stereotypical 80s preppy bully with the you know the sweater tied around his neck he he has these childish tantrums but he can be calmed down with animal crackers. Like that, <laughs> that's such a really cool touch. Yeah, uh, you, you, I loved that. And you mentioned the tree. I think there's so many like one-liners and like just visual gags. I think the tree one is like, he's like, uh, my mom trusts me for being responsible or something along those lines. Or, and it's obviously the summer and he still has the Christmas tree tied up yeah. on top of the roof. Um, sure. It moves pretty quickly to Nantucket, right? Because they, they graduate, and we they said the whole thing that we discussed in terms of he doesn't get the basketball or scholarship, so he's got, which is such a weird premise, but he's got a couple of weeks to make a cartoon, but the cartoon has to be about love. And he's like, I don't know anything about love. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's sure. <laughs> I mean, they needed, like, basically he just needs to get away from it all. And he feels like Nantucket is the place to do it. Cause... I can't blame him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I guess um, his buddy, I got to get Calamari. Uh, what is this for? George. Yes. <laughs> his buddy, George, like his grandmother lives in Nantucket and he goes there for the summer. And he's like, just sure, why not? And we get a car jump onto the ferry, all, all these kind of things. I, oh, we meet Demi Moore like on land. She's being chased by these bikers. Yeah, Demi Moore is is uh I think she she stole money from bikers or the bikers stole her money or something. But there's a group of you know talk about 80 stereotypes, these Mad Max style bikers with <laughs> fluorescent mohawks, very much like the ones from the finale of uh Weird Science yeah. which we talked about recently. The kind of bikers that only exist in the 80s movies. <laughs> and uh, and they, they help Demi Moore out of this situation. They jump onto the ferry. We, we find out that uh, Hoops is afraid of water and boats, uh, which, which comes in, into play later. Uh, they, they arrive on the island, and this is something that, that I, I took note of this time. You know, this is maybe my sixth time watching this movie, but I noticed this time, and it might have been for the sake of time compression, but everybody is best friends immediately. <laughs> they meet the Stork twins, they meet Ak Ak, and immediately they're willing to do anything for each other. Like, it's so unrealistic, but it's also <laughs> so nice, you know? Like, 
it's really kind of sweet that the that the Stork twins are willing to help Hoops uh, win over Cassandra and help Cassandra win back her home. You know, it's really cool. And yeah. in the in the end, uh, William Hickey, you know, spoiler alert, the patriarch <laughs> of the evil family, uh, he he says like the the most important thing in the world is friendship. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, that's great. Like, it's just wonderful. Yeah, it certainly makes you feel good. But I actually noticed that, too, um, a couple of moments. Like you said, they do everything in their power to help Cassandra, which, you know, really by extension, help, uh, what's his name? Hoops, duh. Help Hoops just make Cassandra's day to the point where they they win money, I think, in the regatta, right? And it's never implied that they want a share of it. Or there's other moments, too. Even it's not necessarily with Cassandra. Or they all help the girls, that other group of girls, like, get the boat into the water. Yeah. And then, like, she only invites hoops onto the boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just funny that they're all completely 100% willing to be literally side characters in this new person they've met's summer adventure. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, at one point, and as somebody, when when I was a kid, I I wanted to make cartoons. Like, that was one of my big dreams. Until I found out how hard it was. Um, how basically you have to draw the same thing 10,000 times. And... There's a scene in this movie where Hoops and his friends make a cartoon to promote Cassandra's gig, and they oh, play yeah. it at the drive-in. And I I remember back then thinking, like, this is, in a movie full of ridiculous stuff, this is completely unrealistic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the first time I saw that, I was like, how are they doing it? I... What do they do? They take a second projector and project it on the first projector? I, you know, there's so much about it that it, it's <laughs> like they would have had to... Uh, just the drawing alone would have taken days. And, and then you, you, they would have had to take a picture of each frame. And apparently they're showing it on film. I don't know. <laughs> Needless to say, completely unrealistic. I mean, it didn't bother me, but I, as we talk about it, it seems like the cartoon stuff is pretty shoehorned into this plot. I mean, obviously, like, he, he loves his cartooning. He That's a Savage, Savage, Steel, uh, Savage Steve's trademark, right? But the more we talk about it, the more it just seems like all the stuff that seems the fakest about this plot is stuff to get his cartoons more in the film. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the... I wasn't even thinking about that either until right now. Like, there's no need for any of it. <laughs> just like there's no need to have a dancing hamburger in Better Off Dead. <laughs> there's exactly as much need for the, uh, you know, rhino fuzzy bunny stuff in this movie as there is for uh, an animated David Lee Roth hamburger uh, in Better <laughs> Off Dead. But, you know... It's Savage Steve's world. We're just living in it. I'd like to imagine a a scenario, uh, you know, some kind of Mandela effect thing where John Cusack does not get angry at Better Off Dead and just continues to make 
films for Savage, Savage Steve Holland, where he plays a person who wants to get into animation or just likes to draw, who's like down on his luck on, on love. You know, a lot of people have actually confused this for a Better Off Dead sequel. And, I, you know, I can't blame them. That's true. I mean, he's, he's kind of playing the same character. <laughs> he's a high school sad sack <laughs> with dreams of being uh, a, a illustrator. <laughs> hmm, I wonder if that has any reflection on <laughs> Savage Steve Holland. And I suppose in a different world, he would have kept on making these movies if he hadn't uh, fallen into the world of Nickelodeon original programming. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Chicken and egg situation. I, I'm sure. I'm sure if they did better, and you know, ah, it, hard to say. That's somebody who, though, I would love to like interview Savage Steve Holland because I have sure. so many questions. It's pretty much like again the basis of this very show was that Better Off Dead episode, and you know, Savage Steve Holland, if you listen to this, reach out because I got questions. I appreciate your work, and I love you too. Yeah, I would love to be there. And I promise we won't ask you too much about uh, John Cusack. Ah, that's probably, you're right. Good call. That's probably what he would fear, you know? Yeah. No, we want to know. It doesn't have to be Cusack stuff, we promise. <laughs> and it's okay that you put your, your, your animation stuff in these movies. I don't care. Well, that's the thing. Us talking about it, it seems like that. But I, what I was going to say was, with both the films, it never really bothered me. I wasn't like, ugh, here's oh, no. another cartoon. Yeah, absolutely not, especially as a kid, you know, but it, it just, it seems slightly irrelevant to the plot. <laughs> slightly, S- Steve. We love <laughs> Only you. slightly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so any other uh, scenes in the film as we move along? Anything? Yeah, I mean, middle, really? there are... There are a couple that that stand out. I mean, obviously, there's the scene, and I love this scene for two reasons. It's the the evil dad is having the he's unveiling his plan for Nantucket, and of course, there's a scale model oh, yes. of his condo developments and whatnot, and that's such a classic like 80s movie thing like they're going to tear down the ski slope and put up <laughs> whatever and Bobcat Goldthwait is in a Godzilla costume now there is a subplot where Bobcat and his brother are guarding the props for this Jaws movie that's filming on Nantucket and of course they end up using the props uh, for their own purposes and one of those props is a Godzilla costume. I don't know why a Godzilla costume is being used <laughs> in this Jaws ripoff, um, but Bobcat ends up w- stuck in the Godzilla costume. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It feels good to be back here at the Club Tokyo. And he wreaks havoc at this snooty party and stomps on the town. (laughs) 
I know I know this is absolutely problematic, but there's an an Asian gentleman there who is loving it. He's just absolutely loving it. Everyone's freaking out. The Asian gentleman is the he runs the Nantucket Bank um, because later on he has the scene with Demi Moore. But he was also in uh, Big Trouble in Little China. And oh. he was a friend of, of uh, Kurt Russell's character. And one of, the, one of the biggest things about Big Trouble in Little China is that uh, John Carpenter wanted to cast Asian actors, but not in stereotypical Asian roles. Like, of course, there's a wise old man and, and whatnot, but but this guy's character was just a slick, cool dude. And that was a role that Asian actors really weren't offered, was a guy who just, like, had it all together and was super cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was him in Big Trouble in Little China. I remember he wore a really awesome suit in that movie but yeah uh, as you mentioned it i remember him now that's interesting (laughs) yeah i mean i wouldn't like that scene is stereotypical and i guess the fact that he's part of the conglomerate to buy the land there seemed to be like in 80s films this like fear of the japanese buying up american things oh absolutely yeah (laughs) i i mean i also another trope that you, you see a lot in in 80s movies is uh, Japanese people taking lots of pictures all the time. Yes, that's I, another one too. I don't even remember that being a thing in the eighties, like in real life. I don't know where that came from. Uh, I guess because a lot of camera companies were Japanese back then. I don't know, but but yeah, there was there was a big, you know, because the the eighties were. I I think a lot of these snobs versus slobs uh, movies uh, came from. The sort of uh, economic anxiety of the '80s, because people like to think of the '80s as this super optimistic time where everything was awesome, and that's because all those people were kids in the '80s. The yeah. '80s were a great time to be a kid, uh, not so much a great time to be sort of a, a blue collar uh, adult, uh, because the late '70s into the '80s were when uh, business started to move out of the country and basically industries started disappearing. So there was a lot of economic insecurity in America. And I think uh, a lot of that was part of why these sort of movies where the, the rich guy who's going to bulldoze your town spoke so much to the movie going public. Yeah. And uh, like the, here it went the whole like development as you're saying and like the Godzilla just like crushing the miniature it's just obviously it's an obvious funny laugh but it's also uh, on that greater economic scale level again spoiler alert he doesn't end up being able to build his his complex there it seems like in these movies like obviously they're never going to be pro developer you know but <laughs> the, th- there seems to be right like a lot of this like the grandpa he doesn't say much, but he puts the kibosh on it in the end. There's like always an evil dad and a, and a son who is evil, but he's doing it just to impress his dad. Like how many yeah, times have you I, seen that? I loved that 
that that's kind of a trope in itself um is like the teenage bad guy in the end you kind of see why he is the way he is and it's someone else who's even worse and uh you know, it kind of gives you a little sympathy for for the bad guy. Uh, I, you know, um, Karate Kid yeah. had a lot of that. The son, the the evil preppy douchebag, is really just an idiot. There's there's a great there's a great scene um, where he's he's about to go. The son is about to go swimming, and the pool is full of lobsters, oh, yeah. um, unbeknownst <laughs> to him. And he and his girlfriend are walking out of the house, and the dad is is yelling at him to do something, and he spins around, and he goes, After I do my laps! <laughs> Teddy! Don't forget about tonight! That'll go, 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 go! I'll go after I do my laps! Thank you, Teddy! And it's great. Oh, I love it. Um, yeah, and he takes off, like the shorts to reveal that like extra small yeah. bathing suit. And of course, you know, the gang put the lobsters in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the, uh, another thing, the grandpa who, who is, you know, spoiler alert secretly on the side of the good guys, we don't really know who he is until the very end, but he pops up in the background of like three different scenes throughout the movie. Like he's, yeah. he's at Cassandra's gig and he's watching the regatta as they all launch, but he's just, you know, a guy in a wheelchair, and it all comes together in the end. <laughs> um, another kind of um, subplotter beat is is Ak Ak and his dad. Um, mm-hmm. I he runs like the Boy Scouts and like a what do they what do you call those stores? Like an army, like an army navy yeah. surplus. Yeah, yeah. In the credits, he's referred to as. Uh, General Raymond. Okay. So I guess he maybe was a general, and Akak is supposed to join the military, but he obviously doesn't want to. But I like how he's introduced. He's like, "Oh, what's he doing?" He's like, "He's on the beach collecting shells." And I didn't remember this part. I'm like, "Oh, I guess." So. And then he's like on a uh, what is it like a target range? For yeah, the like a, a proving grounds. Yeah, <laughs> collecting like uh, aircraft shells and stuff. Sure. You were collecting shells! Shells! 57 millimeter! My dad gets 12 bucks a piece for them. They make great paperweights. Hi, I'm Akka! Let's get out of here! Come on over the top, boys! Nobody lives forever! And, you know, now that I think about it, this is like the third instance in this film of father-son, complicated father-son relationships, where where the son is feeling pressured to carry on a legacy. Um, again, Savage Steve, talk to us. Yeah, if if we get Savage Steve, we're going to ask him about that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you don't want to talk about that, but it's so... You see it in the work, even again, back back to Better Off Dead, there's a lot yeah. of that father-son 
element too. Yeah. <laughs> How interesting. I mean, now that I think about it, I'm sorry, Savage Steve. This is going to be like some WTF Mark Maron material when you get on here. <laughs> We're going deep. <laughs> it's going to hurt. There might be some tears. <laughs> oh, I love it, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, There's a there. Um, of course, Cassandra in the movie is a musician, and we see her perform a, a great song uh, at the, what is it, the Dew Drop In. Her band is, like, this is another thing I, I noticed this time. There's never any mention of her band. It's it's always, they're, they're helping out Cassandra. They're, <laughs> she's got a gig. But when she shows up, she's got a backing band. I don't know if it's, like, the house band and, you know, they'll play with anyone. But there's some backup singers that are dressed as old-school waitresses. And there's a there's a bass player that looks like a high school science teacher with a mustache. Like, who yeah. are these guys? Are they friends of hers? I don't know. I had no idea. I had noticed that this on this watch too. I was like, wait, so she's trying to raise money. No one really knows her music. I totally pictured her more as being like a like a folk singer. Yeah, like a singer songwriter, like a Lisa Loeb kind of deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely, yeah, Lilith Fair. <laughs> But no, she's like a, a really high-produced 80s-style musician. And again, if you're trying to raise money, lose the, the backup uh, <laughs> yeah, right. musicians and stuff. Because like, you're probably going to have to pay them. Or like you said, maybe just everyone just wants to help her out. <laughs> yeah. But but again, like, wh where are those band? Those band members could be helping build the boat. Like, you know, they just kind of peace out as soon as the gig's over. Come on, guys. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I guess they're only in it for the music. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a moment in the movie where um, I, I think it's the preppy bully, but the running gag. There's a running gag with with George's little sister, uh, the mischievous little sister, who's a lot like the little brother in Better Off Dead, and she has this dog, which is supposedly the ugliest dog in the world and at one point uh, the bad guy kicks the dog yes and bosco is uh, the dog's name bosco and and it's genuinely disturbing not just because i i have dogs that i love and i hate to see that but it's uh, it made me think of um a famous scene in anchorman where jack black pretty much drop kicks Ron Burgundy's dog off the side of a bridge. And that's hilarious. And the reason it's hilarious is because the dog goes flying off the bridge and it's it's clearly like a stuffed animal. Mm -hmm. But when the bad guy kicks the dog in this movie, the dog doesn't move. It just kind of, you know, it kind of does what a dog would do if you actually kicked it. It doesn't go flying through the air. And that makes it all the more disturbing. It's sort of like like in a movie, like if you punch someone, it doesn't sound like it sounds when Indiana Jones punches someone. <laughs> no. You know, 
it, you don't get that crisp crack. It's <laughs> it, it's kind of a, a dull thud, and it's and it's just not a good scene. And that's what the dog kicking was like. And I feel like that's a a rare comedic misfire by Savage Steve. Like he should have made that scene less realistic. It's funny because right because most of the things he does he, he cranks it up to eleven on the cartoon yeah. stuff and not really there and then look Bosco comes back Bosco has children apparently oh love it love it <laughs> so, that's so that's a... all good but no you're right it is kind of I was like ooh no I don't yeah. want that to happen <laughs> yeah uh, good call on that you know speaking of of kind of unexpected drama there is a scene where Bobcat's brother comes back. And he's just been beaten up by the the bully. Yeah. And Bobcat's like, who did this to you? Like, what happened to you? And it, it's played like a scene from like a like a, a TV movie. He's like, he's like, well, who hurt you? Who hurt you? You can tell he's getting legitimately upset. It's that's the scene where he decides he's going to uh, chop up the bad guy's car to make an engine for the boat, but. It it shows you how much he cares for his brother. Um, it tells you a lot about the character, and it's also like surprisingly heavy. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that kind of like heart moment in this film. I mean, because when he walks in, they don't play it like again to eleven with like he's not like in a like a weird like nineteen twenties cast or something, you know? No, he's just got like a bloody nose and and some bruises, you know. Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head. That's another, like, there's not too many of them. That's another moment where you're like, oh, my God. Like, that's... It's... Yeah, it's it's like a kind of a Thelma and Louise kind of moment. And, of course, Bobcat eventually cranks all the way up to peak Bobcat. But, you know, it starts off with him being like, who did this to you? Who hurt you? And it's like, wow. Yeah, no, for sure. Um. Oh, the, another character I don't think we mentioned yet, and really quickly, just like the grandmother of... George's grandmother? Yeah, George's grandmother. Yes, and, yes. What's his, what's his uh, sister's name? I don't know. I don't. She's a weird name, like Squid? Yeah, it's Squid. Yeah, <laughs> Squid Calamari. <laughs> oh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> George and Squid's uh, grandmother, who, like, at one point, they all eat dinner at her house, and she gives them a bill... Yeah, um, yeah. She she ignores. She she's really into Squid, but she kind of ignores George. Yeah. I, you know, I I thought that was a kind of uh I thought that was a funny little little beat there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it definitely, you know, George is the stereotypical kind of fuck up sidekick. <laughs> um which which makes it all the more satisfying when he all of a sudden out of nowhere ends up with the bully's girlfriend in the end. Um, yeah. <laughs> just out of nowhere, he just steps off the boat and he's and kisses her and they walk off together. It's it's a beautiful moment. But yeah, their their grandmother um is is a pretty recognizable uh person from the 80s. Uh, she was in a couple of the Police Academy movies as, you know, someone who you wouldn't think would be a cop but is much like Bobcat Goldthwait. She was also in Home Alone. There's a scene where uh, K-9 
Kevin's mom is like begging an elderly couple to right. yeah. like buy her watch or something so she yeah. can get back to Chicago. Um, and she was also in, uh, I, I think it was called traffic school or driving school. It was one of those eighties <laughs> kind of like blank school movies where uh, kind of a summer school ripoff where a ragtag bunch of, of losers ends up passing the big test at the end or whatever. I mean, not unlike police Academy either. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, a lot of, and I mean, there's, there's a reason why I really appreciated these movies growing up. And, and a big part of that was because of where I grew up and where I went to school. Um, But also if you think about these movies, you know, going back to animal house, they were written by, kind of dorks and people who had been surrounded by people who got everything handed to them their whole lives and they kind of got by on their wits. And so when they wrote a movie, who was going to be the bad guy? It was it was the rich kid. Yeah, no, totally, totally makes sense. I mean, are there any other scenes before the big ending that you want to talk about? I mean, we've we've really I we've talked about everything on my list. Um, I I could watch it again and come up with an entirely different list, but oh, uh, I'm sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, let me just Oops. check my notes quick. The only other thing I well, we talked about Demi Moore's music. Is mm-hmm. she since you've seen Better Off Dead? Is she better than E.G. Daly in Better Off Dead singing the? Better oh Off my Dead goodness! Well, uh, let me just say. When I knew I was going to be a big fan of this podcast is when uh, you started talking about E.G. Daly. My my favorite through line of this podcast, aside <laughs> from John Cusack, your complicated relationship with John Cusack, um, I love E.G. Daly. I mean, she... But I had no idea that she was the singer. Like, I knew her as the actress from Pee Wee, and I knew her music, but... I never knew it was the same person. Oh, wow. And <laughs> when I found that out recently, I was like, she's incredible. She actually, uh, I don't know if you know this, but she went on The Voice relatively recently and sang one of her old songs. Oh, really? Uh, wow, as cool. a contestant. Oh, what? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. that's uh, and, and of course, you know, Adam Levine and Christina Aguilera had no idea who the hell she was, oh, which is which is kind of sad. <laughs> that would be a dream guest to get to, E.G. Daly, if you're listening. Yeah. Uh, but as much as I love Demi Moore and I love her, her song in this, I think it's safe to say she is no E.G. Daly. No, I think that's fair. And I really do not think Demi Moore is going to listen to this podcast, so we can say that. <laughs> that's true, yeah. <laughs> if only because we're more likely to get E.G. Daly on this podcast. <laughs> no, no, but you're, you're 100% right. Yeah, like it doesn't really compare, but it's certainly it's certainly interesting. Um, so let's get into this big boat finale, which uh, right off the bat I'm going to tell you, I love this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, again, it's a total trope. Uh, they they get a shitty boat and they put it together. Their sails are made of bed sheets. <laughs> you know everything's falling apart constantly. It's held together with chewing gum. It's called the boat, which 
I love. It's such a great touch. But it's wonderful. It's it's watching watching the ragtag gang save the day is is always just a wonderful way to end a movie. Yeah, and as we mentioned, uh, this car that the you know the big bad bully has just been so protective of. When Bobcat decides, like in honor of his brother, to pretty much tear it apart, and they use it for the boat. And I, I'm not too familiar with regattas, but in this, at least. It, the boat has to be rowable, sailable, and have a motor. Like, there's three different parts of the race. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm in the same boat, uh, no pun intended. My <laughs> my knowledge of regattas uh, begins and ends with one crazy summer. So, <laughs> Yeah, so who knows um, that <laughs> that's actually the case. But, it, it, like, it looks cool. It's awesome. And... Every time I watch this movie, I am so amped up for, like, the big finale with this race. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know what also helps with the vibe of this movie? It's got a great soundtrack. Mm, It's it's got a lot of great, like, classic rock summer tunes. It's got the Beach Boys. Uh, There's a montage set to The Pretenders, Would I Lie to You?, uh, there's ZZ Top, Steppenwolf, uh, Martha and the Vandellas dancing in the streets. It plays during, uh, I think it's when they're putting the boat together. Yeah, it's it's impossible not to be in a good mood watching this movie. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's I, I, like I can't get enough of the boat. <laughs> I think it has <laughs> like um, Odie from Garfield in the front too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it. It doesn't there's not much else right after they win this big boat scene well we said you know the grandpa they screw him over somehow anyway but the grandpa's like no i'm not giving you that shit yeah well the the whole thing is that um the the bully wins the regatta every year and should he ever lose he'll have to get a job <laughs> oh, and that's, that's like, like a job yeah that's like the the biggest fear and so after Hoops and the gang win, he goes to the bully and he's like, look, I'll give you this trophy and you won't have to get a job. Uh, just give Cassandra her house back. And then the grandpa steps in and he's like, no, forget it. Like, keep the trophy, keep the house. Like, you're a little spoiled bastard. Uh, friendship is the most important thing in the world. <laughs> and then it ends with, with an animated sequence where the Hoops' rhino alter ego finally finds love, etc., etc. I have to say, I'm a little surprised of your lack of knowledge for uh, regatta rules, <laughs> considering you, in your real-life playoff, a rather captain motif, and you are a legendary purveyor of yacht rock and you know what that's that's a good point i you know i was captain good times was my karaoke uh name back in the back during brooklyn's karaoke boom of the mid 2000s (laughs) um and i always wore a captain's hat that was sort of my thing and every now and then somebody would ask me if i would marry them not if i would marry the person but if i would conduct a wedding ceremony at karaoke night because i was a captain 
And, you know, I couldn't because I wasn't actually a captain. <laughs> um, so I decided to do some research because I was like, what if I wasn't just Captain Good Times in name only? What if I was an actual captain? Um, and apparently I needed like 1,500 hours of boat sailing experience. Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> which I wasn't, I didn't really have the resources to do. But uh, I love boats. One thing I love to do in the summertime is to ride the Staten Island Ferry back and forth because uh, it's free, uh, you can drink, and it takes you right by the Statue of Liberty and Governor's Island. It's a very beautiful trip. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. That's definitely, like, I mean, an underrated New York thing to do, especially for locals here who yeah. don't live in Staten Island, you know? <laughs> I mean, I love boats, unlike hoops. Uh, unlike, I, unlike I love hoops. the water, and I love boats. And I, I thought this was another interesting tie to yourself, as well as I was like going through my notes now, as I said, you are a, a legendary purveyor of yacht rock collector, <laughs> if you will. And do you know where the name Hoops McCann comes from? I do not. Apparently, it comes from a Steely Dan song. Okay. Off the Gaucho album called, let's see, Glamour Profession. That's the character in the song, and Savage Steve says he took it directly from that song. Interesting little fact there. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised there's not more yacht rock in this film. I feel like it would be a good good uh, match. Yeah, you know, while the music is good, like you said, and it really is, it's not thematic to the Nantucket yacht scene. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any other one crazy summer memories or or moments you want to mention? Uh, I mean, we've we've pretty much covered everything. Um, like I said, I grew up loving Better Off Dead and to have fully discovered this movie uh recently um was was a real treat um and I like it I like it more just because I love summer movies summer movies are one of my favorite genres and it's also a high school movie it it really is even though it's it's not it doesn't take place in high school it's about a very specific time in one's life uh, about that sort of uncertainty that comes along with with graduating high school and um the the endless possibilities of summer um and and I'm really glad I got a chance to uh talk about it especially in the context of of your podcast well, you know, I definitely appreciate you coming on. And I kind of loosely take the scope of this podcast, theoretically, from, like, summer going into high school to summer, like, after you graduate. Because there's so many great summer after you graduate films. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I'll say about One Crazy Summer is related to Better Off Dead. Better Off Dead, again, was kind of trashed by the critics, specifically Siskel and Ebert. So I, I read this fact that Savage Steve drew two of the rabbits to kind of look like Siskel and Ebert, and those oh. are the ones who get, like, you know, shot at <laughs> uh, in the end. So I thought that was interesting. Um, this film, though, critically did a lot better than Better Off Dead. Rotten Tomatoes has it as 60% by the critics, 63% by the audience, but we grade a little differently in High School Slumber Party, especially this year. We're grading by letter grade. 
So, Christian Larson, what letter grade will you give One Crazy Summer? Oh, boy. Um, well, in, in a beloved genre of mine, it's definitely one of the best. And it's also a movie that I can watch over and over again. And I can't really say that about a whole lot of movies. Um, so it's going to be up there. I, I'm going to give it a B plus. B plus solid. I actually, I'm giving this film a B, but I'm kind of leaning to B plus too. I think you're right. I think this is blasphemous of me to say, I think it is better than better off dead. Like it just, it, I don't know what it is about it, but again, especially on this watch, you're right. It has awesome rewatchability. So I might lean with you and give it that B plus as well. And I'm so happy that we, you know, got to talk about it, got to, got to, you know, watch it again and just do it and get it in before summer ended. That that was important for me. Sure. You know, I I think, and as you were saying that, I was trying to think about why why exactly I prefer it to Better Off Dead. And I think it's because Better Off Dead, for the most part, is a very bleak movie. Um, You know, it's about how terrible his high school experience is, for the most part. And, of course, at the end he gets the girl and all that. But um, One Crazy Summer just has a much more positive vibe about it. No, yeah, 100%. So sleeping bags, I know you've listened to the show before. What one crazy summer sleeping bag do you think uh, you're packing for your trip to Nantucket? Oh, boy. Um, Well, you know what? My sleeping bag is going to have a picture of the back of that Corvette on it. Oh, that's cool. With the the license plate, the vanity license plate. I believe it said, see you later or something. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. I like that one. That's a cool one. Yeah. So, so a new segment on the show, um, while we've been doing it a little bit this summer, I think I'm calling it Rent 2, Get 1 Free. Now, if, if we went to the video store and rented One Crazy Summer, what other movie might that inspire you to rent? And since, oh. since you're such a purveyor of the VHS genre, I'm going to let you pick both other movies this week. Oh boy! All right. Well, I'm looking. I'm looking at my stack of summer films right now. Um, I would probably go with first summer rental. Um, summer rental with John uh, John Candy. Oh yeah, is is a great movie about you know a guy who rents a house down the shore and everything goes wrong. It's also a slobs versus snobs movie. In its own right, but my, I would have to say if One Crazy Summer is my favorite summer movie, my second favorite summer movie would have to be Back to the Beach uh, with Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello. Ooh, classic. Uh, it, was, it was made around the same time, I think, mid, mid to late 80s. Yeah. Um, but Frankie and Annette kind of play themselves sort of... Uh, refugees of the 60s beach party films who find themselves on a beach in the 80s and there's a lot of culture shock and a lot of musical cameos um including a really great cameo where um peewee herman sings surfing bird 
uh, which is fantastic. And also Annette Funicello and the, uh, the ska funk band Fishbone have a duet in it. Um, it also has cameos from 60s TV stars like Don Adams from Get Smart and, uh, Gilligan from Gilligan's Island. It's it's just a fantastic movie. So I would say if we're going for an all-night summer marathon, uh, One Crazy Summer, Summer Rental, and Back to the Beach for sure. Awesome. Perfect. I have actually never seen Back to the Beach, but I was reading about it the other day. I'm like, I got to watch this film. So yeah, it's, it's pretty great. That's definitely on my list. So uh, anything you want to plug or where people can follow you? It's up to you. You know what? I, I've been uh, having so i did monkey club me and chris podcast we had 10 fantastic episodes and my laptop literally uh melted down after the recording of our 10th episode and i haven't gotten back into podcasting yet uh but i've been making a lot of guest appearances and it's and, and it's really been a whole lot of fun and there's a lot of ideas in my head for for topics for a potential new podcast but nothing I'm ready to uh to commit to yet uh I I always say on Instagram check out hashtag Larson Flicks with an X like Netflix um I take pictures of things I watch on TV uh and they're they're pretty fun yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, you know, you brought up Monkey Club again, and we need we need at least one more Monkey Club episode. <laughs> well, I, I always say that if we were to do a reunion, it would be for Dunstan Checks In, uh, because when we, were, when we were soliciting guests for Monkey Club, we had about 10 people volunteer for Dunstan Checks In, so it would be like a massive 12-person episode of Dunstan Checks In. Um, so who knows? I mean, it's something where I've, I've been trying to stir up the rumblings. Now, <laughs> C- Cage Club recently had a thousandth episode. so Yeah, of course. I, I kind of mentioned to um, the godfather of the network, Joey Lewandowski, that Maybe Monkey Club could be the 1500th. That would be cool. <laughs> well, I, it never ceases to amaze me how warmly people talk about Monkey Club whenever I'm uh, mentioned anywhere on the network. And, and that's always a nice thing to hear. Incredibly shocking, but a, a very nice thing to hear. So who knows? Maybe, maybe someday soon we'll have to give the people what they are so clearly clamoring for so many monkey films you guys didn't get to do so <laughs> i mean we we want the monkeys um so again thank you so much so much for coming on i love to have you on again of course but i think this was a super super fun ride and a super i hope it was a super fun summer evening for all you guys listening out there because it certainly was for me Absolutely. Like I said, I'm I'm a huge fan of the podcast, and it was great to finally join you for a, a conversation. So great having Christian Larson on as our guest this week. I feel like we really, you know, I don't know. I just watched One Crazy Summer, obviously, but from listening to the conversation back again, I kind of want to watch it again. 
Maybe it's just me not wanting to quit on this lovely summer. I don't know. However, I do enjoy the fall. Still, no autumn tidings yet. It's still summer school. You guys have to prove to me that you're ready to become sophomores. So, you know, we'll talk about that maybe more next week. Speaking of next week, your homework is to watch a film, a different film than probably what we're used to, and you'll get that once you start watching, I think. The movie is Never Going Back. Jesse, get up. Mm. You have to get up now because I have something really, really awesome to show you. Did you draw a dick on my face? We are going to Galveston for your birthday. Oh my god! Ah! We deserve this. Uh-huh. We work our asses off. Yep. Let's go to the fucking beach. Y'all gonna be up later? No, because we actually have to work tomorrow. Sucks for y'all. Not when we're at the beach next week. One of y'all kids need to mow that lawn. Maybe you need to mow your lawn. The city's gonna come down on you. Wait, the city's gonna come on us? Well, 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 look at this. We want to go to the beach. We're going to the fucking beach. You're not hitting up our dog's party. We have to see Roderick sober. Ladies, be here in the morning. We don't have to get fucked up. We can just like hang for a minute and say hey. Is this seriously how you're coming to work? Y'all are high as fuck. Shit, she knows. Dude, how does she know? You cannot leave me alone here because I will literally die. Now you know I'm disappointed. You two are right. Funny. Working hard, entertaining as hell. One of the only things about this place I don't hate. Go do something with your lives. I'm not going anywhere without you. Fuck you! What the fuck are you doing? Have some decency. Y'all are dirty, dirty girls. True that. That shit was stupid. No, you want to know what's stupid? Not being able to use a goddamn bathroom for two days because you're in fucking jail. Hey, you didn't go yet? No, I told you I couldn't. I thought you went last night. There's no privacy in that place. You know that. Dude, that's not healthy. And I'll be chatting with none other than the godfather himself, Joey Lewandowski. Can't wait to sit down with him and break down this one. Of course, you have other homework assignments. For old time's sake, I'm going to say it because he was in the film we talked about today. Get John Cusack to unblock us from Twitter. And speaking of Twitter, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, comment, please, give me a message. Some of you have been writing to me. I love hearing from you guys. Let's have a debate. Let's have a chat. Tell me what high school movies you like. Tell me which ones you don't like. I'm, you know, so open to talking, obviously, because I've been talking for this long. <laughs> so I'll stop. At least for this week. See you next Friday, guys. Here's Steely Dan with the origin of Hoops McCann. Glamour profession. Later, dudes.
still here? It's over. Go home. Go.